Hello and welcome to episode 659 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, March 19th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo today. And we're talking about late round hitters this afternoon. And focusing on the main events that just went off this week in New York, of which I was able to watch a few of them, using that average draft position as our jump off point, I'm going to start at pick 225 and later. That's round 15 in a 15 team mixed, or, or I guess that's through round 15. Uh, so you're talking rounds 16 through the reserves, the second half of the draft. And I want to highlight a series of guys that I think are worthy of drafting for various reasons. They don't all fit a particular theme. Uh, some, you know, have starting jobs already and should probably be going higher. Others are interesting speculations. Others are bounce back picks, etc., etc. So I've got several names. So let's just jump into it. First off, I'll start with uh, Cedric Mullins. And I am going to say out front that I will be talking about some players that I've already discussed in different avenues. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that everyone listens to every episode. So, you know, you, you might have, if you are a diehard, first off, thank you. And you might have heard me gush about uh, a few of these guys already. But that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm going to just bypass them and assume that everyone knows I love them. I still want to get them their mention because, say, you got behind on the show. This is the one you choose to listen to. You need to know how much I love Chad Pinder. But anyway, we'll get to him later. Back to Cedric Mullins. He's an interesting power speed option for the Orioles. He hasn't quite been named the starting center fielder yet, but it certainly looks like he's going to get that job. And of course, anytime that you are that you get a starting job and you're slated to bat atop a lineup, even a crummy lineup, there's value in that, particularly in fantasy. And once you get in deeper leagues like a 15-team mixer uh, that, that has seven reserves as well, so you're going 30 rounds deep, volume playing time can be king and he had a pretty good little debut last year only played 45 games 191 plate appearances wasn't off the charts with his triple slash 235 312 359 but hit four homers did steal two bases uh had five attempts so he was two for five which isn't good uh no one's going to pretend that but the speed is definitely there for more and so he just obviously needs to learn a little bit more about what's going on with major league pitchers and and catchers and when to go and Cedric Mullins can definitely be a double double kind of guy wherein he's getting you know 10 plus homers 10 plus steals and I think I would probably keep the power down around that 10 mark, but I think the steals could be upwards of uh, you know 18 to 22 kind of level. He stole 30 back in 2016, uh, just 9 for 16 then in 2017. And then last year when you add up all the work that he did, including those uh, the 2 for 5 in the majors, it looks like he was uh, 23 for 27, which is good. You're definitely going to take that all day long. So, you know, he's had some bouts of, of kind of not knowing, uh, you know, getting caught up maybe a little bit too much with that 2017 performance. He only played 76 games. I do wonder if an injury had Cedric Mullins maybe uh, hampered on the base paths even when he was playing. But then back in tw- just in 2018 this past year, excellent on the base paths. You love an 85% success rate. So don't get too clouded by the two for five in the majors. As I mentioned, he hasn't quite been named the the starter just yet, although that information uh, is a little bit outdated here that I'm seeing. So I do wonder if there's been an update on him. I'm going to go ahead and check that for y'all. If you've listened to a solo cast, you know we're out here. We're clicking a little bit. We're checking some things. We're taking drinks of water where necessary. So it is a little bit more uh, free flowing than maybe some of the some of the ones with with Justin or other guests. 
but no, I don't see anything that says that he's locked and loaded. But every every outlet has Cedric Mullins not only with the job but atop the lineup. I do wonder like who would even really take the job. Um, this guy, there's a guy infield. He's listed as infield slash outfield. Drew Jackson. I don't even know if he could play center. It's not going to be Trey Mancini. I guess Joey Rickard could play. He's he's slated to start in right for now. He could move over to center if somebody else uh, bumped Mullins out. But he's a switch hitter. He's 24 years old. They're in a rebuild. He's got an interesting set of skills. Why wouldn't you throw him atop the lineup to see what that what that raw power can do with the good speed? And, you know, decent fielder. So Cedric Mullins, somebody for a power-speed combo, went off at pick 247 uh, in this past weekend's drafts. Let's move on to a guy that I've only recently come into favor with because I was really on the other side of his of his position battle. I still like both, though. This is kind of like my evolution on the Brandon Woodruff. I'm still a Brandon Woodruff guy. But if Corbin Burns were to win the job, then I'm, I'm in on Corbin Burns. I just I, I acknowledge that there's two remarkably talented arms there and whoever wins is going to be fantasy viable this is the same situation with garrett hampson and ryan mcmahon now there should have been enough space to go around for both but for some reason the rockies love signing veteran bats to block off their young interesting talent it's so cool it doesn't piss me off at all i don't get overwhelmingly annoyed by it uh for no reason whatsoever no i'm totally i'm totally chill on it it's 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 really cool keep doing that colorado that's awesome bring in daniel murphy bring in ian desmond you know the the funny thing is too because i hate it and i love it because i love daniel murphy in colorado that's going to be freaking sweet I, I did love ian desmond going there after that big year in texas i've always been an ian desmond guy and i thought he was just going to uh, you know, pick up where his Texas season left off, sprinkle a little Coors Field on it, and bing, bang, boom, he's awesome. Instead, he's been kind of terrible with them uh, and really only maintained fantasy value by by going 20-20 with terrible triple slash lines. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We have to deal with what we've got. Daniel Murphy's going to be playing. Ian Desmond's going to be playing. So there's probably only one full-time spot for McMahon or Hampson. They're making it remarkably difficult for the Rockies to decide which of the two is going to get that job as both are just doing damage left right and center in every spring training game that they that they get into McMahon I believe is still leading baseball in batting average in spring and you know we don't go crazy on uh on spring numbers we, we preach that regularly but it's also not something that you just i'm not on the i'm not on the side where you just ignore all of it don't pay any attention to it and it's all stupid i, I think that's that's too far i used to be that guy my thinking has evolved just as as studies have come out showing that there are things that do have value uh like base running attempts you see a guy that runs a bunch in spring that could be a nice signifier of him running in the season uh strikeouts and walks for both pitchers and hitters and then in a position battle just the performance alone is going to matter particularly between two young players like mcmahon and hampson and so mcmahon leading baseball with a 444 average in spring with 11 extra base hits out of his 20 that's seven doubles a triple and three yaks that's fantastic so he's got 440 
444, 490, slash line. That's absolutely brilliant. Hampson is not chopped liver over here with a 313, 371, 625. He's also uh, you know, put up four extra base hits out of his 10 knocks, including three home runs. He's also six for seven on the bases. And that's one of the reasons I've loved Hampson so much is that I think he's going to be a big steals asset. Those six stolen bases are the most in the league. They're tied with Victor Robles. They're both six for seven this year in spring training. So again, volume of steal attempts is a good signifier of what, what's to come in, in season. So both guys deserve a spot. Only one's going to win it. They could end up being in a bit of a platoon. McMahon is the lefty, though, so he's going to have the stronger side of the platoon. Hampson can bounce around. And, and find some spots, maybe uh, spelling some guys in the outfield. I do like David Dahl quite a bit, but he, his health track record is, is pretty atrocious. Uh, I mentioned Ian Desmond and his struggles. You know, if he's, if he's hitting terribly again, they have to start taking some time away from him in favor of a Garrett Hampson. Charlie Blackman's obviously locked and loaded. He's going to play every single day that his body will allow. Um, so, you know, you're not really going to see any time in right field there for Hampson unless Blackman moved to a different spot. But also Trevor's story is locked and loaded while healthy, of course. But remember, there's a little bit of an injury scare at the end of last year. And, you know, if anything happened there, that would be an avenue for Hampson. I am not rooting for injury on anybody. I don't care if I completely dislike the player. We don't, we don't, we don't do that. That's, that's, that's clown behavior. But it is something to be worthy or, or um not to be worthy to to is notable that that ha uh, story did have the situation last year i believe it was with his elbow let me look that up i think it was an elbow issue weren't they talking maybe some tommy john for me it was a it was a big scare that ended up not being uh too big of a deal once once it was uh settled but yeah it was a right elbow injury late in the season and i remember that the the scares were were over the top initially and then everything was like okay you know, he's fine. He came back after, I think, about a week and continued to be Trevor's story. But anyway, McMahon, uh, McMahon is the one I'm looking at right now because he's going at pick 270 in these latest uh, NFBC drafts. And this was just this past weekend. So the news is out there that he's beasting uh, in spring training, that he could end up getting getting the full-time gig or at least the strong side gig at second base in Colorado. So McMahon, you know, even if he rises a little bit, he'll probably still fit within this 225 or later threshold that I've kind of set here as the guys that I'm looking at. So Ryan McMahon, I still do like Garrett Hampson. He is substantially more expensive. And I think that's just that just speaks to the speed asset. Uh, he's going. He went at 174 during these main event drafts. You know that's that's a decent outlay for somebody that doesn't have a guaranteed job. But with the speed component, pinch running, uh, you know, mixing in four or five times a week, I still think that there's going to be some value there. Let me just take a look at their early season schedule. Let's see what kind of lefties they might have on the docket. They do start with four in Miami, and I think Caleb Smith would, would be the only lefty that they would face. Then they jump over for three to Tampa Bay. They don't even uh, touch the home home park for quite a while, uh, but they th so they're only going to face probably two lefties with Caleb Smith and Blake Snell. So those will be starts for Hampson. Otherwise, he's going to have to mix in. So... 
I'm not. I've already gotten my Hampson shares locked, so I probably won't add a ton more at this price. I'll be interested to see if the price comes down a bit. Now he did have a min max of 148 and 202, so the earliest he went was 148. The latest was 202. If he pulls back closer to that max and he's going after pick 200, I'll scoop a couple other shares. But for now, I've turned my attention over to McMahon. He doesn't deliver the speed component like Hampson. But I think at the price, you got to go with the guy who's looking at the strong side platoon. So, uh, like I said, I've got my Hampson shares already. I'm cool with that, but I'm probably not going to add a ton more because right now, playing time is scarce. Now, I think I'm going to do a piece on this, uh, blocked breakouts. Guys who, you know, where are they going to play? You know, we get too worried about that. So I don't want to go all the way to the other guardrail here on Hampson and be like, well, he has nowhere to play. Don't draft him anywhere. That's why I say... Because I've already got shares, that's cool. Um, I might add a couple more. Whereas if he had a locked and loaded spot, I'd be getting Hampson every place. Anyway, that's enough here. McMahon and Hampson still like both, but McMahon at his price, somebody you got to take a look at. Let's move over to Arizona and talk a little bit about Steven Souza Jr. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hype, and I think rightfully so, and I, I, I'm helping push that. I have no problem saying that on somebody like a Domingo Santana, who's a year removed from a 30-15 effort. In that same 2017 season, uh, Steven Souza went 30-16. Now, he only hit 239, but he had a 351 OBP and a 459 slug. Good for a 120 WRC+. Plus. He had a hell of a season. He's always been able to take walks. He does strike out a good bit, so the batting average is certainly a risk. But when you're getting that kind of power speed... Uh, you, you, you take that batting average risk. And I think he's been just completely forgotten. And that's probably a bit of a mistake here when you're talking about getting him at pick 283 for Steven Souza. Injuries really derailed his season last year. He started with a strained right pectoral muscle that kept him out for the first couple months. It flared up yet again in late May. So he came back from it. He was only there for a few games. It flared back up. He was out for another month plus. And so really only ended up playing just under a half season with 72 games. He did hit five homers and went six for seven uh, on the bases with a 223.09369 triple slash. Not very good for an 84 WRC plus. And that was health related, obviously. And he is a health concern. But we talk about this a lot and I'm going to keep reiterating it. That is into the cost. That's baked into the cost there that that Steven Souza is a health concern. So you don't double charge it and, and stay away from him and say, well, you know, I can't trust him to stay healthy. That's why you're getting him so late. If he was not a health risk, he'd be going at least 100 picks higher than his 283 um, average draft position. Right now on roster resource, he's slated to bat fourth right in between Peralta, uh, David Peralta and Jake Lamb, uh, both of whom I like, by the way, and Jake Lamb could be a guy on this list. I actually didn't put him on there because I feel like I've, I have kind of talked about him enough, although... I am going to talk about Chad Pinder, so I probably should have included Lamb. It's, it's not like I haven't talked enough about Pinder. But anyway, this is about Souza and, you know, not just the 3016 season from 2017, but he was 17 and 7 back in 2016, 16 and 12 back in 2015. And so you probably can't pencil in more than, say, 125 games just to be safe. But I'll take that. From, from somebody that I'm going to get this late at pick 283 with Souza, and then you're going to get replacement value on top of that. And of course, if you're able to spike another 148, 148 game season like 2017, 
well, then who knows what we can get? Maybe not another 30-16 season because he did need a 26% homer to fly ball rate. But what about a, I don't know, 22-16 type of year? 22 homers, 16 steals. I think the steals should remain fine. So he could emulate exactly what he did in 2017. There's no reason he shouldn't be running there. Um, but but okay, maybe the humidor plus just not not repeating the homer to fly ball rate, bring the homers down. I'll take I'll take 2012. I'll take 20 and 12 from Steven Souza at this pick. I just think he's been a complete afterthought, and uh, that could be a mistake. He's batting in the middle of the lineup. And while no one's going to say Arizona's lineup is remarkably strong, I do think the top uh, portion, actually, it runs about six deep of, of viable guys. This doesn't even include Adam Jones, so if he has any sort of bounce back, that'd be kind of interesting. But you got Cattell Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Peralta, Souza, Lamb, and Flores. That's not bad. You know, it's it's not it's not top of the scale, but it's also not barren. It's not like um, you know, he's never gonna score runs or have anybody to drive in. I think with Marte Escobar and Peralta in front of Souza, his RBI total could be really nice. He had seventy-eight uh runs and RBIs in that big twenty seventeen season. I don't know how many he's gonna score. But it, he also, like I said, he takes his walk, so his OBP should be there too. And if Lamb bounces back and Flores does his thing, he could score a good number of runs too. So there's a good upside here with Souza. And even if you just kind of get uh, a, a modest delivery of 125 games where you get high teens, low 20s homers, and uh, mid-teens, low double-digit stolen bases, you're getting your money's worth. Another guy I like and uh, had his in, had his season cut short by injury last year, and I've I've really liked him for years. And injuries have repeatedly gotten him, but this year was a or this past season was a weird viral issue for Leonis Martin out in Cleveland, and it was actually a really scary situation. He's going off at pick three hundred two in these past week past weekend's main events, and he's slated to bat atop the lineup in Cleveland. And like I said with, with Mullins, anytime you're batting atop the lineup, and obviously Cleveland's lineup is a hell of a lot better than Baltimore. So anytime you're batting atop the lineup, regardless of the lineup quality, I'm interested. But this is a good lineup once you get uh, Francisco Lindor back in there. It runs deep at that point, especially if one of, let alone both, I would not project both, but if one of Hanley Ramirez or Carlos Gonzalez bounces back, phew, that deepens the lineup quite a bit all of a sudden. But anyway, uh, he doesn't even really need that to be uh, atop a strong lineup where it'd be Leonis Martin at the top and then Lindor, Ramirez, Santana, best player in the world, Jake Bowers, right behind him. That's going to set up nicely. He was having a great season. 11 homers, 7 stolen bases, 255, 323, 425. Great for him because it's actually a career-high WRC+. plus. I don't want to overstate it and say, oh, you know, this was so amazing. But if you just do the easy, the easy double up, okay, when you play 80 something games, the easy double up, just to get an idea of what the upside could have been, could have been a 22 14 type of season. And so the power explosion there would have been really nice. Uh, Leonis Martinez has a career high of 15 homers, and he would have almost certainly broken it if not for the viral issue that cut him short, particularly when he went to Cleveland. And he was he was actually kind of battling for his life a bit there from all, all the stories I read. Thankfully, he's healthy, ready to go. He's a tremendous outfielder. Their outfield sucks anyway. So even if he wasn't good, um, he would have a job. But he's, he, it helps that Leonis Martinez is an excellent outfielder. So he'll be playing every single day. 
Uh, he shouldn't have to worry about a platoon scenario because who the heck are they going to platoon him with? They don't have another guy to go out there in center field. Don't even don't even talk to me about Tyler Naquin or Jordan Luplau. Leonis Martinez needs to start every day. Fantastic defender. Has some punch. Has some speed. I like where he's going there at uh, pick 302. <clears throat> Next up is Adam Frazier for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's going off at pick 306. I don't really see him rising much either. I think this is going to kind of be the range where he lives. And let me see what type of range he was actually going for his min and max. His min was 251. His max was 361. So that's actually a decent range there, 110 picks. I'm kind of surprised by that, although uh, he does have his believers. But even at the top end, pick 251, he still fits in this class that we're talking about of 225 or later. And the other infielders that he would be around there would be Jeff McNeil, Michael Franco, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I'd have no problem taking him in that class. So even if his ADP became the min, uh, for for Adam Frazier, I'd be fine with it. But I really don't think you're going to have to pay that. I think you're going to be able to get him regularly at pick 285 or later. And like I said, it's averaged at 306 right now. So let's talk about what he's been able to do and, and look at, uh, at some numbers for Adam Frazier. He had a big second half. And I think the believers are fully in on that because they saw what he was able to do in the second half. And that's what's really driving the, the high end of his cost because the believers of Adam Frazier, they want to scoop him up everywhere. But not everyone's in. And so that's why he's he's kind of hidden here as an interesting player. He clubbed 291, 363, 490 line off of righties last year with nine homers in 282 plate appearances. That's really nice. So even as just a strong side platoon guy, you're going to get some value out of Adam Frazier. He's got second base outfield eligibility. He could actually add some more as the season goes along. He could maybe uh, play a little bit at third, maybe play a little bit at short, uh, something like that. Now, I am going to go ahead and just loop in the the third baseman on the team. We just talked about him last episode, but I'm going to get some more Jung-Ho Gun talk in here. He's going off at 354. He's the starting third baseman now. So Frazier is not going to take the third base job, but my my point in saying that maybe Frazier could play some third would be Jung-Ho Gung playing some short because right now they have Eric Gonzalez there. So maybe they move those guys around a bit and uh, maybe get like Kevin Newman in. If you put Newman at, say, uh, second, Frazier at third, Gung at short, you know, something like that. Anyway, they could add eligibility, but even if he doesn't, he's going to come in with double eligibility. That's Frazier. And he had a really interesting pop in the second half there. 179 ISO for the entire season. He doesn't strike out, so he offers some batting average upside as well. And he can take a walk with a nice 8% walk rate in his career. 8% is about average, but when you also strike out 14-15% of the time, that 8% is even better. By comparison, because you can take your walks when you need them, but you're also making a boatload of contact. I think there's actually some 290 plus batting average upside here. Of course, anytime you're hitting 277, you're really not that far from even hitting 300. In fact, let's just take a look at his uh, at his plate or at his at bats from last year and see how many hits he would have needed to hit 300. He would have only needed seven more hits. That's nothing. He had 318 plate appearances. Uh, excuse me. I, I'm so plate appearance focused that when I talk batting average, I, I accidentally say that. But it's at-bats, of course, for, for batting average. He had 88 hits. 
Get them up to 95 hits, and all of a sudden you're talking 300. The bottom line is, is that there's batting average upside here. If he just gets maybe a little bit more BABIP fortune, he's a career 313, but only 306 and 305 the last two years. If he pops a 320 BABIP, all of a sudden Adam Frazier's hitting 300, bopping, say, 15 homers. And he's not particularly fast, but he isn't uh, averse to running a little bit and getting some of those steals. It can come with some caught stealing. So if you're in like a um, a net steals situation, he might hurt you there. He was a 9 for 14 la- uh, in 2017 and just 1 for 4 last year. So it's it's not great. He's 14 for 23 over his career. But if all you need, you know, if you're just in regular steals... You're, you might get six to nine, which would be nice. So I like Adam Frazier going here late, dual eligibility. As I mentioned, I want to loop in Gung here. His ADP is going to rise. He's currently at 354, but I don't think it's going to rise to a level that prices him out of this grouping. So I don't think it's going to go as high as 225 for his ADP. I, don't, I really don't think it's going to get particularly close to that because even though folks are going to adjust and take him inside the top 300, I still think he's going to kind of live in that mid-200 range for Jung Ho Gung, and I'm willing to buy. We talked about him, like I said, on yesterday's show, in case you missed it. He does have that job. Seems to have really gotten things back on track after really having his life derailed uh, through his own poor decisions, by the way. Um, But hopefully he stays on the straight and narrow stops drinking you know because clearly he wasn't able to handle it getting behind the wheel far too often but jung ho gung popped 21 homers back in 2016. Um, he has 36 homers in his 843 career plate appearances if you just kind of take that and uh and, and do a little 600 on it, that's 25. that's 25 homers per 600. so he also throws in a little chip in steals as well maybe three to five nothing crazy there but batting average is pretty solid too 274 career and like i just got done saying with frazier if you're 274 career you're not that much uh you're not that far away from hitting a 300 whether it's a little bit of good luck or maybe just a a few extra line drives that that find those spots or even ground balls that kind of skitter through the infield which i guess would would be the good luck but i like both frazier and jung ho gung going late 306 for frazier 354 for gung Next up is Austin Barnes, uh, somebody I loved last year. So sorry if you jumped on that train with me. We 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 were on that uh, that derailment quickly. It was it was evident rather soon that that wasn't going to go anywhere, especially with Yasmani Grandal really just taking the reins on that job. But I loved what I'd seen from from Barnes in 2017, not only in the regular season, but he had some really excellent plate appearances in the uh, in the playoffs. And just kind of watching him every night when the Dodgers were playing, I, I even fell more in love. And the playoff tax can get you because you start to overrate the these these singular plate appearances, and sometimes it can be for the good, other times for the bad. I remember watching Xander Bogarts as he, when he was really young, and uh, against the Tigers in the playoffs, and just taking these brilliant at bats, left you know every time up. It was a quality at bat, whether he did damage or not, and fell in love with him. I've been I've been a big fan of his ever since, and of course that paid off because he's he's an emerging star, and I still think there's actually more in his game, by the way. But as far as Barnes goes, completely flopped last year, 
And there's really no reason to believe that that's who he is, though. He might not be completely his 2017 when he had a 142 WRC+. plus. I grant that. But he's not the guy who basically sliced it in half with a 77 WRC+. plus last year. His strikeout rate jumped from 16 to 28%, despite his swinging strike rate jumping one tick from 5 to 6 like that's just not conducive uh, to to major strikeouts like a 28% rate. He has an excellent walk rate for Austin Barnes, so he gets deep in counts. And obviously, things were just uh, were on, he was on the wrong side of a lot of plate appearances that probably ended. Uh, I, I would be curious to see how many like close full count uh, strikeouts he had that maybe could have gone the other way for walks, but maybe that's some passivity that he had where if he'd been swinging a little bit more aggressive, he wouldn't have gotten himself so deep into the count there. So I do wonder if maybe some of that walk rate, um, you know, last year was, I'm just not, I'm just not doing anything at the dish. Let me just get on via walk. And if I take the strikeout, oh, well, I was, you know, I was trying to get a walk. I don't know. That's speculation. That's narrative. I don't have, I don't have anything to back that up. Maybe I should do some extra research on that with Austin. And Barnes, but the year before he had a 15% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. That's more in line with what I expect. Give me like a 260, three. Um, I think he can go 260, 385 on the average OBP. So he's going to be on base a bunch to get driven in in that strong Dodgers lineup. He should play every day. They brought Russell Martin uh, back, but he's 36 years old. There's no reason that he should be taking anything more than the uh, the standard off day here and there from Barnes. Barnes should get a full shot here to see, are you any good at this hitting thing? You've had one great year, small sample size. You've had one brutal year, small sample size, 263 uh, and, three, and 238 respectively on the plate appearances there. Let's put it all together. Let's get you 440 and see what you can do. He's also, it helps that he's a strong framer. Austin Barnes is really strong behind the dish. I don't know if he learned from Yasmani Grandal or what, but they had two of the best framers back there uh, last year. So even when he was, I, I wonder if that's why he was able to still get in to 100 games for Barnes because when he was in there playing catcher, he's still helping the pitching staff. And I'm sure some guys were comfortable throwing to him. Although I will say, um, as far as those 100 games go, there were plenty over at second base as well. It was only 61 behind the dish. But nevertheless, good defense. He's shown some skills. I love the, the walk rate. I think the strikeout rate belongs more as at a peak of like 20, not 28%. So Austin Barnes, I'm buying back. Catcher's a disaster this year. He's my favorite C2. Next up is Tyler O'Neill, and I hinted at maybe doing a uh, blocked breakouts type of piece, and he would absolutely be on it because right now the avenues for playing time do look a bit blocked off. You have Marcelo Zuna, Harrison Bader, and Dexter Fowler in the outfield with Jose Martinez waiting in the wings if anything happens to Dexter Fowler because you know Martinez is not really going to gain any plate appearances from Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt's going to play as many games as, as he can handle. He'll get the occasional off day because a lot of guys just don't play a buck 62 anymore. But I'm sure if Goldie had anything to say about it, he'd play the full 162. So Martinez is going to have to get those plate appearances in the outfield. So Fowler, uh, you know, Fowler flopping again, it would be it, it would absolutely be Martinez who would likely take those plate appearances first and foremost. That said. Tyler O'Neill has just a really interesting skill set, and I actually think that maybe center field could be his avenue. I like Harrison Bader as a ball player. He's a fantastic outfielder. I love defensive first outfielders uh, with with you know 
deep skill packages of speed, defense, some punch, but he doesn't hit righties just like at all, really. And outside of a one nice run where Harrison Bader really boosted his numbers there, he was pretty pedestrian because he couldn't hit righties. The defense kept him out there, but that's because maybe there wasn't uh, O'Neal wasn't seen as a viable option to take his his spot. And again, Bader's defense was so good that if you're not if you're not killing the team against righties, a 6.95 OPS is certainly not good, but it's not get you out of the lineup. You're the worst player ever level. I think that helped Bader keep that playing time up. I don't know that that'll be the case this year if he pops another 695 or worse against righties. I think O'Neill will start to creep in on some of those plate appearances in center field. And he's a unique power-speed combo. Uh, he's a decent fielder. He's certainly not to the level of Bader. But maybe they even look at doing some sort of tandem work uh, where, you know, Tyler O'Neill comes in, starts the game against a righty. He's a righty himself, by the way, so there's no distinct platoon advantage. But if he can show that he can hit righties better than Bader, then Tyler O'Neill comes in, plays the game for six, seven innings. Bader comes in as the late defensive replacement. So that would mute some of the the plate appearances that O'Neill could get, but it would be an avenue to some playing time. Right now, he doesn't have uh, a clear path. But Ozuna's shoulder is still a little bit bulky. I know that the, nothing that, that has them overly concerned. I think it was just we kind of knew coming into spring training that Ozuna was going to be a little bit slow to start. I think he was DHing a bit uh, at the outside of spring. But for the most part, I think he's going to be fine. But that doesn't mean that it's, it's a full go, no questions asked all season. So if anything happens to Ozuna... Yes, Martinez would get some of that playing time as well because we can't we can't be guaranteed that Fowler's going to flop again and just clear the path for for Martinez. But O'Neal could force his way in. O'Neal is having a nice spring wherein uh, he, he's flexing all those skills and I I choose the word flexing on purpose because the dude is has ridiculous muscles. He's popped five homers this spring, eight walks too. I like that. He does have 15 strikeouts. He is swing and miss type of guy, only hitting 191. But when you have seven extra base hits out of your nine hits, that's what we like to see. So I'm not even too locked in on the batting average when O'Neill is showing such great power. And uh, you know, it's not a it's not a true position battle. So I, I'm not going to compare their numbers and say that O'Neill has a lead or anything like that. But uh, Bader, for his work, is only hitting 171 and not showing any sort of power. He has seven hits, and they're all singles. So it's an interesting scenario. It's tough maybe in the NFBC to hold O'Neill for too long because you only get the seven reserve spots, and that's all you're working with. There is no DL or anything like that. So if you have like an injured guy that you can't get rid of, say you have a Severino that you want to take a gamble on, well, there goes one, so now you're working with six reserve spots. Then you take a Tyler O'Neill who isn't really playing a whole lot, now you're down really to five workable reserve spots. And so that can be a little bit difficult. But this isn't just about NFBC because Tyler O'Neill is going late in all drafts. By the way, I don't think I mentioned his ADP, and it is 314. So that's Tyler O'Neill. Next up, let's go out to Toronto and talk a little bit about a couple guys that they have there because this looks like a position battle, and I don't know exactly who's going to win it. Either of them could be interesting. So you're kind of taking your pick of who you like. And, uh, and and hoping to strike it rich. But Billy McKinney and Teoscar Hernandez are battling right now. Teoscar Hernandez going at pick 332, Billy McKinney at 437, and yet McKinney 
actually seems to have the leg up because he has the platoon advantage. So just right out front there, if, if, if you're in a deadlocked position battle like this, you probably go with the lefty. I am a Teoscar guy. I was big on him last year. He didn't quite come to fruition. I want to buy back again this year in deep leagues, and I already have him in some, uh, some draft and hold situations where you just draft 50 guys and there's no free agent pickups. You just go with it. But I am wondering a bit of where that playing time comes from. The tough part is that Kendris Morales locks off DH. The dude can still hit, and so he's going to take that time there. Now, as, as long as he's healthy, uh, we're going to see Kendris Morales continue to play. Perhaps they deal him at some point, but I don't know that that would happen anytime soon. So, I, you know, you're not holding a Teoscar Hernandez who's only playing on the weak side of the platoon until June or July when somebody like Kend Kendris Morales could get traded. Plus, Moving a DH-only player is more difficult these days. Teams like to rotate the DH spot, use it as a bit of a day off for their regulars. So that makes it tough. Uh, like I said, Tasker's my guy, but I think I'm looking at McKinney here as the interesting draft value. I'm not afraid to... to to pivot where the draft value takes me. And in this instance, even though Teoscar is also cheap, so I have speculated on him in some leagues, I think McKinney is the one to draft an NFBC because at 437, you're talking about a late reserve pick and I'm, and I'm going to get the strong side of the platoon at the top of the order. Again, there's a common theme here with these top of the order guys. I didn't do that on purpose. It just happens to be what we're seeing here. And Billy McKinney, if he's leading off in Toronto, I'll reiterate it one more time. They do not have a, an excellent lineup, but it's the top of a lineup. And the top end of any lineup is at least decent. Even the poor lineups. They're usually poor because they, they, they nosedive after four or five. And uh, it's McKinney, Gurriel Jr., Smoke, Morales, Grichuk, Pilar, Galvis, Drury, Jansen. I actually like Jansen. I would like to see him batting maybe seventh and Galvis nine, but that's neither here nor there. That's just the projection by roster resource. So McKinney leading off, playing mostly against righties. That's really interesting to me. Although I will say, let's see what kind of lefties they might be facing early in the season here just to get an idea. Well, they do open with the Tigers, but it looks like it's a two-and-two two scenario with Boyd and Moore on the left side, Zimmerman and Ross on the right side. So uh, just in that very first series, starting on the, on the 28th, gosh, we're so close. Y'all, we are so close. We're just over a week away. I mean, heck, tonight. Uh, you know, morning. I, until I go to bed, it's 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 the night. It's the same day, so I'll probably stay up all the way until the Oakland Seattle game at 4:35 Central uh, in the morning on technically Wednesday morning. But that's that's tonight for me because I'm I'm a night owl. I'll be up streaming and and watching that game. But anyway, we're about a week away from the full regular season starting, and it's going to be awesome. But this McKinney Teoscar battle, I think you want to. Pass on a Teoscar at his cost. Wait for McKinney over 105 picks late. Well, not over 105. I was going to say over 100, and then I said the exact number. What a doofus. But 105 picks later, strong side platoon guy. Give me that. Let's check in on their numbers here because, like I said, in spring training, uh, the numbers do do matter when there's a position battle. Teoscar does have the edge. He's at, he's at 405, 463, 514. Good for a 997 OPS, but McKinney is not falling on his face. He's at 265, 405, 461. Good for an 875 OPS. So there's not really that much of a difference. Yes, it's 102 points, but that's that's one good game. Like that's that's a, a an 0 for 3 out of Teoscar and a 2 for 3 with two extra base hits for McKinney, and all of a sudden they're tied. You know, something like that. So 
do not get too hung up on that. Eight strikeouts, eight walks for McKinney. I love that. Nine strikeouts, four walks for Teoscar. Um, that's not so bad with the uh, with the walks. I'll take that. That's a, about a 10% rate. But the, the strikeout rate is a little bit high there, uh, creeping at around 25%. Nah, that's not terrible. I, I take that back. I'm bad at math, so I, I didn't know it off the top of my head because I'm dumb. Um, but they're both striking out about the same rate. So McKinney there is who I'm probably going to go for in most formats right now. I think I have my Tasker shares in the in the 50-round draft and hold. And until he gets that full time, I, I think I got to lean McKinney. All right, next up, let's go a little Homer, your Detroit Tiger fan here. Let's talk a little Heimer Candelario. And again, this is definitely somebody you've heard me talk up if you've been listening all spring because I am intrigued by the fact that he's going to have a full-time job at third base. He's free and clear. There's absolutely no reason that he shouldn't be playing every single day. He played 144 games last year despite a little wrist injury cutting into his season. But I also think it lingered. That was the problem. Uh, it, It didn't cost him a ton of time but it certainly stuck with him the rest of the year and seemed to sap his power at least that's the gauge that i that i was seeing with heimer candelario in detroit he was off to a much better start you can kind of do the easy split of pre uh wrist injury and post wrist injury so if we're uh, and by the way just to give you those numbers 225 iso pre-injury 148 after so if that wrist tendonitis is all cleared up and it i think it would it should be and he's good to go for this season I think we're going to see uh, more of what he did from April and May carried out throughout the entire season. And he was a much better strikeout guy than 26% uh, in the minors. He was a high teens guy, you know, 17 to 19 rate kind of kind of guy. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to be a 26% strikeout guy. So the batting average could bounce back up to something in the, say, 260, 270 range with 20-something homers and decent runs because he's going to be batting in the in the top half of the order there with Josh Harrison, Nicholas Castellanos, Miguel Cabrera. They have uh, roster resource has him batting fourth, Candelario. Whether he bats two and Castellanos bats four, whatever. Looks like he should be in the top four. Now, he'd actually be a better RBI guy at four than runs. I thought he'd bat two, so that's why I was saying runs. But either way, I think the runs or RBIs, depending on where Candelario bats, will be pretty decent. Just for for what he is, for what for what you're getting, which is a uh, a guy on a crummy team at pick 369, which is definitely nice. So I like Heimer Candelario as a nice third base option, really a, a nice corner option, or even a reserve pick. Let's say you get. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is there some? Well, okay. Here's an easy one, Vlad. You get Vlad Jr., you know you're going to be waiting on him a little bit. Get Candelario. He fills in for you for a couple weeks, and then you kind of figure it out. Maybe you shift him over to corner. Is there anybody else in the third base position that's hurt right now that you would uh, that you would sub him in for? Not that I can see off the top uh, off the top here, but we know that Justin Turner is not the healthiest guy out there. Matt Carpenter is not the healthiest guy out there. Josh Donaldson getting up there in age. So if you have one of those guys to get somebody who's a full time starter at third base, locked and loaded on your reserve, who you could actually passably use as a corner infielder with some regularity like Heimer Candelario, I think that's a good play. So go ahead and jump on him for the Detroit Tigers at pick 369, which is nice. Just a couple picks later, this is definitely a repeat guy that you've heard me gush over, and I'm going to continue to talk up the virtues of Ryan O'Hearn, the uh, the lefty slugging first baseman for the Kansas City Royals. 
He's got the job. There's no reason that he shouldn't play regularly. He should even play against lefties. Uh, that'll actually drag down the numbers a little bit. I, I understand that if unless he uh, develops against them. But even if he just kind of you know meanders along against them and doesn't have a full breakout against lefties, I think he should garner that playing time because I don't know that there's really any need to platoon him. One of the things I don't like like about the platoons, I understand that a lot of times. They make sense for teams, especially if you're contending, you want to maximize your bench. But if you're a team like the Royals, how the heck do you really expect him to get uh, Ryan O'Hearn to get better against lefties if he never faces them? You're really, you know, the old self-fulfilling prophecy there. You're, you're setting him up for failure. You're really not giving him a chance to figure it out. And he was dreadful in 41 plate appearances against them last year with a 108, 195, 270 triple slash. But that's 41 plate appearances. And... I don't think he's been great against lefties in the minors, but not that bad. And so he needs the opportunity to kind of figure them out. He had an 1108 OPS against against righties. So if they do platoon him, it'll actually play well. Uh, I do wonder who they'd put in. Whoops, sorry. Uh, I do wonder who they'd put in at first. Uh, maybe they put Dozier in at first from third and then Chris Owings at third or something like that. Whit Merrifield can bounce around. So th- they would have options. Again, that would help the 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 rate stats um, look a lot better, particularly the the batting average and OBP for Ryan O'Hearn. Well, actually, all three of them. I don't know why I stopped there. The slug would be better as well, too. But uh, most leagues don't count slug. I think that's why I stopped short of, of saying that. But the volume would obviously take a little bit of a hit. Though I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of changing my mind here. Maybe maybe I would like just a, a flat platoon and then you kind of manage him a little bit because it's not like he's your full-time starter here for Ryan O'Hearn. You really are kind of working um, you know, working him in where, where you see fit at corner. He's not going to be your first baseman, a corner utility type. So you work him in when they got a stretch of righties coming up and just let him go off. Even if it's, say, a, a week where they only have one lefty, you take that on the chin, you get that one uh, that one bench sitting for Ryan O'Hearn and let him do the rest there. That's pick 371. If you want to hear more on him, I got pod, you know, we got shows where I've talked about him regularly. He's a beast. All right, next up is somebody I, I hinted at earlier that you knew was going to come up again. It's Chad Pinder. He'll 100% be on the uh the 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 blocked breakouts. If I do, in fact, do that piece, and the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm like, yo, I have to. I kind of I have to do that now. Um, I actually included him in my Finding This Year's Blank Hitters Edition, where I was kind of taking profiles from last year and applying them to this year's ADP and player pool and finding guys similar to that. And he was the Jesus Aguilar, but he has nowhere to play guy because he has nowhere to play. At least that's how it looks right now. Yet everything he does suggests that he should be out there with as much regularity as they can afford because his power really took off last year. Chad Pinder absolutely crushes the ball. He clubbed 13 homers in just 333 plate appearances after 15 in 309 the year before. So, I mean, that's about a full, I mean, that's a, that's an aggressive full season to say, uh, you know, for 642 plate appearances. But if that were smashed into a full season, it's 28 homers. Of course, it's curated. He's not facing righties as much, uh, <clears throat> and that's why it's two basically half seasons. The bottom line, though, is Chad Pinder can smoke the ball, and he has some positional flexibility already. He comes in like Frazier with that second base outfield combo. Actually, I want to make sure that that's true. I'm pretty sure of that. Yes, he comes in with the outfield second base combo 
could add more too. He, he played some other spots. He played a bunch of third. Of course, that was when Chapman was hurt. Um, and he can mess around at shortstop too. But Semyon Semi and Chapman have those jobs. That would just be if something happened, which I hope not because I've got shares of both of those guys coming out my wazoo. So um, I'm big on the A's again this year with Chapman, Olsen, uh, always down to take Crush Davis, Marcus Simeon, Ramon Oriano my guy, uh, and, the, and of course Chad Pinder. But I like what Pinder's been able to do. Mike Petriello wrote about him a, uh, a couple weeks back. That definitely earned him some attention. Of course, it's not really showing in his ADP, though, because he doesn't have anywhere to play. He's at 377. Now, when I wrote that Finding Blanks piece, his ADP was 450. So he's moved up just off of that. And in these main events, he's going 377. But that's still a nothing cost. Like, come on. We're, we're paying that all day. That's a 26th rounder. That's a reserve pick. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'll take him and put him on my reserve all day long. I'm sorry, but Robbie Grossman... I almost said Rex, and I, I keep doing that. I almost want to say Rex. But Robbie Grossman should not be blocking him off uh, from playing time. I know Robbie Grossman can switch hit, and so there is some value to that. But doesn't he hit lefties better too? Let me let me, let me check that out. Uh, and by the way, you know, Chad Pinder was not great against righties last year, but a 713 OPS is not something that has to be benched. So if you're giving him full playing time and letting him develop a bit, and get those reps against righties maybe he boosts that up to say a 760 which is a heck of a lot more playable and then you get his righty destroying or his lefty crushing uh numbers when they do face left-handers for for pinder as far as grossman goes yeah he's better against lefties over his career actually he doesn't have that much of a platoon split to be quite honest it's 709 career against righties 784 against lefties but he only hit 68 688 um OPS against righties last year, 762, 729. Those are his last three years. Why would you play him over Pinder? He's not exceptional against righties, and Pinder is established better against lefties, although 994 for Grossman against lefties, but then 696 and, and then back to 882. So he fell off there. The the BABIP really dropped in 2017 for Grossman against lefties. So that that's why uh, especially versus lefty splits, but all splits can be uh, they can fluctuate quite a bit because they're small samples by nature. When you're chopping up already a, a season, which it, it's a sample, but it's not it's not always a representative sample. So if you're already chopping that up into something smaller and it's versus lefties, which is definitely going to be smaller, you can get that major volatility there. <clears throat> so Chad Pinder, pick 377. I'm getting him anywhere I can. I, I'm going to have more shares. Uh, you know, I have several drafts left. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get him everywhere I can. All right, let me take a drink. Then we got one more guy. That was a big one. You guys you guys heard my voice like getting weird there, so I had had to get a big drink. Last guy up here, Brandon Lau. First off, learn how to pronounce your name. That's weird. It's low. Uh, very confusing because you have Nathaniel Lowe in the organization as well. And he's an interesting guy too, but he's not slated to start with the team. I think he's actually already been sent back out. This is uh, Nate uh, Nathaniel Lowe, who I'm talking about, as being sent back out. But put him off to the side because that's not who I'm talking about right now. You can get him in super deep leagues. I'm talking about Brandon Lau, who is going to make the ball club, or at least is absolutely slated to do so. And he too, maybe I have a weird interest in um, second base. Oh, no, he doesn't have the outfield yet. I was going to say, does he also have second base outfield eligibility? He does not, but he does have second base. And so you can put him as a middle 
Um, and or just draft him as a reserve. He's picked three ninety seven, so you really don't have to uh, worry about you know where you're going to start him right now because that's that's not what you're doing right off the top. You're kind of waiting for the playing time to develop for Brandon Lau, and he's really interesting. He did get some outfield time last year. That's why if you have a fifteen game qualification, that's where I saw second base outfield. Tout Wars is fifteen games, and I knew I saw the the two B slash OF. For Brandon Lau somewhere, that was in my Tout Wars studies this past weekend. So if you have the lower threshold of 15 games, that's where he qualifies at both. But for 20-plus games, Brandon Lau is second base only. I'll take it either way. I do think he can get some outfield time because Kiermaier and Pham are not, uh, you know, bastions of health. Austin Meadows, um, he's he's actually had some health issues too if i recall correctly in the minor so all three of those guys are uh health concerns so maybe brandon brandon lau could find some outfield time but it looks like he should have at least the strong side platoon at second base to start the season and he was a really interesting guy last year for 148 plate appearances he only had 233 but popped a 324 obp so you love uh you know almost a 100 point split i think it was that 98 point split there uh, between the OBP and batting average, uh, 91 point. I, when I say 98, I'm dumb. I, I already told you guys, I'm dumb. Uh, but a 217 ISO as well. So the power was there. He can take his walks. He does strike out a bit, but I think a 279 Babbitt could definitely jump up a bit too. He was well over the 300s throughout his minor league career. I don't know that he's going to hit the, uh, the the 290 plus that he was hitting in the minors, but give me like a 260 average. I think I think that that's a fair bet in fact a lot of the projections are around there 252 246 253 uh there's 238 for the bat and 239 for zips i think those are selling him a little bit short i do think he can live more in the 255 to 275 range for brandon lau but the power is really what you're buying here uh the, like i said 217 iso came up throughout the minors uh smacking homers not some egregious number i, I don't want to overstate it but he did pop 28 last year which is pretty nice across three levels with uh, with double a triple a and the rays so that's really good injuries seem to get him la- oh no excuse me i was looking at uh, just 24 games in 2017 but that was only in double a he played 90 games in high a uh, he only hit 11 homers in 2017 before last year's explosion but we've seen regularly seen guys come to the majors and kind of hone their power a little bit, kind of add some power uh, to what they did in the minors. So I think a 15-plus homer and chip in steals. So again, kind of similar to the Frazier scenario uh, without as high of a batting average upside. But you get the 15-something homers, you get your chip in, I don't know, five, we'll say five to eight steals. And then like a 255 average as an expectation with potential for more from Brandon Lau. Uh, He could definitely exceed those, but you come in with a reasonable low expectation and let it play out and see if you can get more there. In fact, I might be underselling the homers. I'm looking at these projections here and they're at 8, 9, 8, and 11, but they're all in 73 or fewer games. So if he does play a full side platoon for Brandon Lau, I think you need to start looking at uh, you know not quite tripling up those numbers, but pushing it closer to say 18 to 20 homers uh, as as an upside for Brandon Lau. So you're buying some punch. He will 
be at the bottom of the lineup, at least according to roster resource, to start. But I think he could move himself up there uh, depending on how he performs, at least above stupid Mike Zanino. Although they do have kind of a perfect left, right, left, right, left, right situation working out. But we'll see, right? You know, lineup spot's the last thing I get to uh, fixated on, particularly on the negative side. And obviously on the positive side, you have to understand that it could go the other way too. If a player doesn't perform and he, just because he's slated to bat first, you know, let, let's say Cedric Mullins flops, well, he's going to start moving down the lineup. He'd probably start moving down the lineup before moving out of it. Um, so I guess that does put Lau in danger where if he, if he underperformed, he'd move out of the lineup quicker because he can't move him anywhere lower than ninth. But I don't think he's going to. I think he's got the power to be an impact guy. Uh, there's 55 raw power. He's really starting to bring it into the, to his game power, and uh, he's going to be interesting this year. Now, if Nate Lowe does find his way up, which yeah, I don't even think he'll be on the blocked breakouts, though, because he's going to be in the minors. I'm really focused more on the guys who are uh, in the major league level. Actually, I don't know. Depends how deep I can run with guys uh, just on major league benches. I might have to dip into the minors. But Nate Lowe uh, actually has even more power. He's more of a first base type. But he smacks the heck out of the ball. But G-Man Choi, they're going to play him. And, uh, you know, they're, they're committed to playing him on the fo- front side of the platoon there. And they have Avisal Garcia at DH. So there really isn't a lot of playing time right now for Nate Lowe. But Brandon Lau, the guy we like here. Sorry, it's very confusing to go between Lau and Lowe. Let's just focus on the guy I like and that I'm talking about. Brandon Lau, pick 397. Great reserve pick. Take a shot. You could pop a 20 homer season here with one of your last four picks in an NFBC draft in a 15-team mixer, and that could be really nice. So just to review the guys real quick, it is Cedric Mullins at at pick 247, Ryan McMahon at pick 270, Steven Souza Jr. at pick 283, Leonis Martin at pick 306, Adam Frazier at pick 306, wait, Leonis Martin at 302, Adam Frazier at 306, Jung Ho Gung at 354. Austin Barnes at 311, Tyler O'Neill at 314. I don't dislike Teoscar Hernandez at 332, but unless we see something that suggests that he's going to get more of the job, I actually prefer Billy McKinney at 437. Sorry, uh, I have my Slack notifications on. Got to keep them on for the, for the work. That's Meg Rowley chiming in, letting me know that uh, my catcher positional preview is going to go up tomorrow. Heimer Candelario at 369. Ryan O'Hearn at 371, Chad Pinder at 377, and Brandon Lau at 397. Hopefully, y'all enjoyed that and got some value out of that. That's some deep league stuff there. Those are some interesting options. Some of those guys will play in your 12-team mixers, too, as reserve picks. So hopefully, I I, I spanned enough to give you some reserves, late-rounders for most league types. 10-teamers, Maybe the first couple you might want to take a look at. Ryan McMahon as a as a 10-team reserve. I could see something like that. Perhaps even a, a Cedric Mullins. Um, but, but maybe not. Oh, and Jung Ho Gung. He's going to be starting. I, I think he is a reserve. And if you do play a 10-team uh, two-catcher, then Austin Barnes is, is viable as well. So hopefully that works for you. I will do something similar with pitchers, whether it's an article or podcast. I don't know yet. Let me know what you think of this one. And if you want it to be a podcast form for the pitchers, then I'll do that. Thanks for listening.